You're listening to the Your Queer Story podcast, the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism, led by your favorite hosts, Evan Jones and Paul Hobbs. Trigger warning. Our content covers centuries of LGBTQ plus stories, and occasionally we may use outdated language or cover topics that include violence, assault, homophobia, transphobia, as well as other injustices against marginalized communities. Make sure you subscribe and review wherever you are listening, and be sure to follow us on all social media at Your Queer Story. And if you want exclusive content, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. You're here, now let's get queer. Uh, we're still here people Uh, this is the part you don't see you hear all of that energy coming from us but what you don't know Mm -hmm. is that we're both half dead yeah and we have big bags under our eyes (laughs) and underneath my eyes are basically purple just because i don't sleep um but that's the podcast for you yes you know we pull the energy out of our asses and let me tell you, we're not the spry young, um, younglings that we, we had were done two this and in, a half years no. ago. Oh, well, yeah, and two and a half years ago. I thought you were going to say when we lived in Indiana. Oh, Jesus Could you God. imagine if we did oh, the my Christ. in Indiana? First of all, it would have been all over the place. No research would have been involved whatsoever. <laughs> we would have done it while watching Family Guy. And <laughs> we had our frozen ground beef on the stove, waiting for it to thaw as we're making tacos. And we would have both been drunk off our Oh, asses. absolutely. Completely. It would have just been... It we would have been... thought it sounded so good, but really it'd been like... And then when I was taking over the Lee warehouse... And then we would have forgot to hit stop, so there would have just been four hours of background noise. <laughs> <laughs> Which we would have posted because we thought it was as, cool We would have thought and, it was hilarious. Yeah, like, look at what we did. <laughs> So you're welcome. You should be. We both grew us. up a little bit. <laughs> We're not doing that. But yeah. Welcome back. <laughs> this is your queer story, and we are your hosts. I'm Evan Jones. And I'm Paul Hobbs, and we are the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism. Mm-hmm. And uh you kind of need that right now as we're going into this election. Yeah. Jesus. Like what now we're is it two and a half weeks before Where, the election? I don't election? even know what... This, this uh, drops on October 14th, which means, we yeah, we have two and a half weeks before the election on November 3rd. For Christ's sake, everyone is helping you register. Please make sure that you register to if vote, you don't which by now you should be. go and vote after the top of every single fucking app I've ever used in the last <laughs> two months has said, register to vote, like the whole top half of my Not phone. Anything. You could play fucking Candy Crush and they're like, are you registered to vote? So, I mean, there's really Literally. no excuse. Um, and they've made it so easy. Like, mm. yeah, if you're not registered to vote, you don't get to complain about the outcome of the election. And if you don't know how it works, literally just all you have to do is Google your polling place. Say, where is my polling place? And there's also a thousand apps that will have your polling place. If you can't get to your polling place. You also place, should have gotten like 30 pieces of mail by now. You should have. You Google your polling place. If you can't get to it, if you're like, I can't afford to get to my polling place, you can call your local Democratic or Republican. Uh, loca- poll- we don't like, have any of those. We don't have any. You can call your local <laughs> like office and everyone has an office nearby and they will send you out, send out someone on election day to pick you up and drive you to the polls and back. They'll send out a van, they'll send out a bus, whatever it is. Now, Just obviously, but we do want to say that if your health is not safe enough, I mean, yeah, I'm sure they're taking precautions, be, yeah. but if they have mail-in ballots, they have all of these other options that you can take advantage of mm-hmm. and... Uh, there's a million websites that explain how to do it. Just exactly. you can literally just Google how to vote by mail or whatever, and something will come up yeah. that will direct you to the appropriate. It has appropriate... to be postmarked by the third. So if you need to request a mail-in ballot, again, good online Google. They will ma- send you a mail-in ballot. Fill that out. Turn around and send it right back. Yep. They're pre-po. There's pre-stamped. You don't oh, even have to that. pay for the postage. Just send it back. If you want to get, I believe Uber and Lyft both offer free rides to the polling lift polling um, stations on election day. At least they have in the past. Mm-hmm. So again, there are so many ways you could do a mail-in ballot. You can do, um, you can get a free ride to the polling station. There is, and polling stations open early in the morning, as early as seven a.m. Sometimes they even open at six a.m. 
and then they close late at night, usually around 7 or 8 p.m. Again, you need to look that up. You need to plan a day. I'm looking up right now. Where's my polling station? What time does it open and close? Do I need to request a mail-in ballot because I am not going to be able to get to a polling station because I don't feel safe going to a polling station? Do I have my mask ready? Make sure that you don't wear anything that has any, you cannot wear any kind of uh, paraphernalia that supports one party, so you can't go in there with your, you know, so vote blue no matter who. You can't go anywhere that says Biden and Harris. You cannot right. wear that. So make sure you just, you know, wear appropriate. Um, like you're going anywhere else. Yeah, just in wear appropriate <laughs> clothing. Have your polling station looked up. Have your plan made before November 3rd. It's a Tuesday. Tuesday, November 3rd. Do you need to request a day off? Do you need to request two hours off? I'm telling you right now. You need to prepare so you know. You cannot wake up that morning and be like, oh, shit, I got to vote. Right. You know? And also, um, the uh, debates, oh, I, which Christ I can't believe sake. we didn't talk about that or the fact that Trump <laughs> has COVID time. in the last episode. I don't <laughs> I know. know how we didn't bring that up. But the debates were sh- a shit show. Mm. And I do think Joe Biden, like, I'm n- not that I've ever really liked Joe Biden, but I think he handled it pretty well. There were a few times he let yeah. himself get, you know, a little upset. But I mean, when you watch the way that Trump literally would not let him talk, how else mm-hmm. was he going to respond? Yeah, which is why I, I mean, honestly, and, and by the time this drops, there could be new information. So right. I apologize because we are pre-recording this. Yeah, we're talking about the debate that just took place. We're recording the very first debate. Yeah. So by this time, all the debate, rest of the debates could be canceled. There could be new, the new debates could have continued mm-hmm. or it could have been announced that the COVID uh, diagnosis was a, a huge hoax and a ploy or it could be announced that, you know, he's he's doing really bad i don't know but it should not affect your plans and honestly if you are in a boat where you feel morally i cannot vote for biden or trump i'm just going to remind you there are still senators there are still representatives there are people that are going to put in place the next supreme court justice and we cannot have if if somehow trump wins again we cannot have another house and senate full of republicans like you just can't say i'm not going to vote because i don't like this candidate yeah. okay if you really can't do it write some write a third party in you if you to, really you have to, to you vote for to, your senators yeah. in your house and yeah. whoever else is you up. need to vote for the other people that mm-hmm. are running so whatever your thing i'm not like i said i already told people i'm not going to tell people to vote for a president i know that what i'm going to do i know that i'm going to vote but i am going to say that you need to vote you need to vote for your senators and representatives you need to vote vote for your local election because those are officials that are going to have to stand up if trump continues to be in office so you need to vote for those people so saying i'm not going to vote for anyone really just does such a disservice to everyone else are you doing that because you have the privilege to say that you're not going to vote for anyone you know are you are you a white abled person who's not going to be affected because if you are a white cisgender abled person then Honestly, fuck you if you say that you don't you're not going to vote because mm-hmm. you're the person who's going to be least affected by these administrations. Your your health care is not going to be stripped away. Your rights as a black or brown person are not going to be stripped away. Your rights as a as a cisgender person are not going to be stripped away. That is you're not the person that this administration is coming hard for. Mm-hmm. So really consider your privilege when you decide that you're not going to vote for someone. Yep. And I don't want to hear the bullshit. I just don't do politics. Yeah, fuck that too. Because you know what? If you don't do politics and you know what, get the fuck out. Because mm-hmm. what do you mean you don't do politics? So this is a political co- Place. It just That's the whole is. point of the United States. <laughs> I don't do politics means I don't care enough to invest in the the um, in the lives and experiences of other people. Right. I, I, you exactly. know, I wish that our political system was different and I'm all for radicalizing and changing it. But politics are the way that we make those changes. So you might not have to be as heavily involved as others, but you have to do politics. Mm-hmm. We all do politics by fucking existing in America. Yep. Um, so yeah. So yeah, with that. <laughs> so our, our introduction was just basically a large reprimand to people. But honestly, though, you need to fucking vote. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but <clears throat> should we do a how was your day or, uh, you know, just like subscribe? I think we just scroll into just it. Just scroll right in it. We got a long episode today or longer. But don't forget to like, subscribe, download, and review. And check out our Patreon for as low as $3 a month. You yes, can. You get behind the scenes um stuff there's videos there's audio clips there's a bunch of different stuff um evan's been doing some more coffee with evans and uh, also we hope you had a great national coming out day yeah yeah i hope so um i think that i have a video posted on that <clears throat> so yeah <laughs> let's see whatever uh, 
It's all it's it's two and a half weeks before our election, and the the, the, uh, the uh the exhaustion you're hearing in our voices right now <laughs> is directly related to the current state in the United States. To the to what we're living in, and the fact that it's just so embarrassing, and I can't believe. Also, the fact that he was like condemn white nas- uh, white supremacy, and he's like, uh, 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 I don't know who you're talking about. Bro, boy, stand back and stand by. That I was like. All he had to say was like, "I condemn when he's my." Like, yeah, he's like, he's like, "Can you condemn it?" He's like, "Sure, of course." And like, "All right, well, can you say it?" Well, of course I could say it. Well, yeah, we know you could fucking say it. Are you going to say right. it? Just he's say. Like, it. Well, I don't know who you're talking about. Well, which group? Right. <laughs> it's, isn't it amazing how he can? He has like can just um, beat this dead horse that Antifa is this organized group of people. But when you say white supremacists and white supremacy, he's like, "I, I don't know who you're referring to." Mm-hmm. No, just like the concept. If you can condemn the concept of Antifa, then you can fucking condemn the concept of white supremacy. But you oh, no, he can't because he knows that's his. Well, yeah, that's, that's his, his base. base. Yeah, and he's a fucking but I know white what supremacist. You're saying, yeah. yeah. Um. Oh Jesus, it's just it gets me. My parents, it's like fucking sucking every bit of it up. I, I blows my mind. Just don't listen to what he says. Listen to what he does. <laughs> okay. Well, does. yeah. I'm see like, what he does. Well, I'm, no, seeing I'm seeing what he does, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm seeing what he does. And, uh, yeah. Still the same shit. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Let's get off to a better topic, which is serial killers. Because... You know what? Because there's something about <laughs> listening to a story about a serial killer that just makes you feel good inside. It makes you be like, well, maybe my life is not a complete shit. Yeah. Show. You're like, you know what? Which you know what? There's actually this thing that says you walk by like eleven killers in your lifetime. Really? Yeah. So I wonder how many I've already. Well, I mean, we're both from Gary, Indiana, so I'm sure we walked by oh, plenty. Yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, who was it? Actually, oh god. In fact, I think in our last episode, the last call killer, I think the guy. Oh, what? It, there was someone whose name was Gary, Indiana. It was an author named Gary, Indiana, <laughs> whose parents apparently hated him. Apparently. <laughs> well, actually, back in the day, Gary, Indiana was like a. a a booming place. It so. was, but I mean, in the last like 30 years, it has not been. Yeah, no. So, um, but yeah. Today, we are finally covering the woman that many have dubbed the first female serial killer in America. While the statement is inaccurate and in fact cannot be measured as the term serial killer was not even coined until the 1970s, we can say that Eileen was the first notorious female serial killer in American history. Most of this was due to the fact that Eileen's case came to light just as the country was riding a wave of high-profile serial killers. The 1980s saw a peak in serial killings before advancements in forensic and investigative sciences changed the landscape for mass murders. Killers such as Jeffrey Dahmer, Richard Ramirez, Gary Ray Bowles, and the duo Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole were all all were active during this time period. It is estimated that more than 200 serial killers were active during the decade, and of those, only a very few were women. Such a small pool made it easy for someone like Eileen to stand out as a star. And there's also that thing of that arrogant male ego that, like, mm-hmm. women can't kill. Women are yeah. delicate. Women are fragile. Like, women could never be a serial killer. And that goes to, like, how many more have there been in history that we yeah. just have had no idea ever existed because there's so many unsolved serial killer mm-hmm. things like the Zodiac killer. I'm not saying that the Zodiac killer is a female, but it's a possibility yeah. and that it's something that I think nobody, especially during those time periods ever looked into. Yeah. They never even considered it as a possibility. There's just this idea of like, yeah, again, women can't be violent. They can't be aggressive. And, and, and so there, if there was ever a woman out there that was just a hor- horrendously like Eileen Warnos was not, she was violent in that she killed people, but like she was not gruesome. Not like in our last episode, the last call killer where he's cutting people up after right. brutally beating and stabbing them. Um, so she, she, so if there was someone out there that was very gruesome, they would go completely undetected because they just don't believe that women can do that. Right. And that's not true. And if you, you listen to true crime, there are women that have been incredibly brutal. There's a show on, I think it's Netflix. It's got Sarah Paulson, since we're talking about lesbians. Ratchet. Oh my God. Have you watched it? Oh my I God. Don't get into spelling. I've only, I'm not going to spoil beginning. it, but the colors in that show, it's, the sets. Oh I want to, I, I saw it. a post, which I wish I wish, I wish I would have saved because uh-huh. it took like each scene and then it had little squares of each color represented in the scene. Wow. And I wanted to take that and use that for like future design, but I just, I didn't oh save the post and I haven't been able to find it since. Was it called noir? Whatever. Like it is so, Oh God, mm-hmm. on point. It's like the, the, love it. the shades of blue and the shades 
shades of like all yeah. of these. They're these beautiful colors. The filmography and the sets. They need mm-hmm. to win an award for that. An Absolutely. Academy Award just for that. I mean, Sarah Paulson is doing a fantastic job and mm-hmm. I haven't finished it. She's doing an amazing job. So like, I love that. But just just the design of it is beautiful. Anyways, but yeah, but that's woman. <laughs> that's a woman, you know, killer. Yeah. Um, so, born on Leap Day in 1956, Eileen entered the world in, with the odds stacked against her. Eileen's father, Leo, viciously beat her mother, Diane, when she was pregnant with Eileen. This caused the young mother to flee to her parents' home, though it was not much though it was not much of a healthier environment. Before the baby was even born, Leo was arrested and imprisoned, eventually committing suicide in prison after being convicted of child molestation. Diane struggled with addiction and eventually abandoned baby Lee, Eileen's nickname, causing the Warnos grandparents to step in, and soon they adopted both Eileen and her brother Keith. And um, there was, I, listening to so many serial killers, there's a, always, not always, you see a lot of the times in child uh, serial killers' childhood mm-hmm. where they have very limited empathy from their parents, very limited mm-hmm. support. There's not much physical contact. There's yeah. no base of love. It's very much like they're kind of raising themselves. They have no no one they can look to for protection. And exactly. you see that a lot in the history of serial killers. Yeah, and it's true. Yeah, there's a lot of violence. Anytime mm-hmm. they are touched, it's in a violent manner. Right. Yeah. However, it seems the mother, Diane, had inherited her alcoholism as both her parents were also raging alcoholics. Eileen's grandparents were physically abusive, and she later described numerous beatings with a leather strap on her bare buttocks. Often, the young child was required to lie face down, naked, and spread eagle over the bed for her whippings. Eileen would also claim her grandfather raped her. While we do not want to ever discredit a victim, it is important to note that Eileen often changed and retracted her stories, including the one about her grandfather even long after he was gone and she was no longer connected to her family. Still, neighbors did testify to hearing screaming, hearing screams coming from the Wuornos home on multiple occasions. So, yeah, I, and I, I really don't want to discredit Eileen because I do believe that she was severely abused and I think there's a lot of evidence of that. But it's just, she did change her stories a lot um, and would just go back and forth. And I think that part of that was um, what happens in trauma where you... You black out and you forget or you mix like your your abuse overlaps and like so it it just gets spread over everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but the neighbors did testify that they would hear screaming and they knew that that um, her grandfather, I forgot his name, was very was an alcoholic and he was very aggressive. In fact, her grandmother ended up leaving him and also abandoning Eileen um, because she just couldn't be around him. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a very abusive. And then the, the, just the idea of like her being, you know, f- forced to like um, strip naked and lay down face down. And I don't know if this was true. I knew, know that she was raised in a very religious household. But that is actually, that's actually a thing in fundamentalism where it's like you're supposed to make sure there's no clothing between the child and the 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 whip and mm-hmm. so that it hurts. And that's a very that's a taught technique to lay the child on face down and to whip them all over their body. So um, and, and so I think that also played into later on um, her own kind of self it's like she she loved the woman that she was with, but she also despised the label lesbian. And I think that maybe yeah, that connection, her upbringing. Um, connect, yeah, I think that was part of it. Whatever the truth of the situation, it is certain that there was serious abuse happening and being ignored. By age 11, Eileen was forced to trade sexual favors for food and survival. And by age 14, she was pregnant. Eileen later related she was raped by an accomplice of her grandfather. It is also possible her grandfather was the actual father. The young girl was sent away to a home for unwed mothers and forced to deliver the baby and then give it up for adoption. And these homes were not good homes. They were very, also very abusive Oh yeah, homes. because these are the children who, like, what kind of mm-hmm. uh, sinful child are you if you're getting pregnant and exactly. you're unwed? What are you doing to cause this? It's your fault. It's yeah. all your fault. When she was... When she returned home a few months later, she lost her grandmother to liver failure and was shortly thereafter kicked out of the house by her grandfather. By the age of 15, Eileen was completely on her own, living in the woods with sex work as her only means of earning an income. Only a few hundred yards away was her grandfather's house and an entire community that ignored a forest full of abandoned and unwanted teens, which was a thing that people did in the 70s and 80s. They would kick teenagers out of the house and then the teens would live... Like, when I'm saying the woods, it's like... 
again at the end of your street mm-hmm. like it's just it's right there and the teenagers would just live in the woods and folks would be like those are the bad kids but really you're the fucking asshole that kicked someone out of your house at 15 because of whatever reason she like she lived with there with other one of her good friends was a, was a gay young man who had been kicked out because he was gay mm-hmm. and so like she lived there with other teens that had been kicked out for the smallest fucking fraction yeah and then society looks down on them like look mm-hmm. at these disgusting people and it's like they never got a chance. Right. And like, how are you supposed to build life skills and how are you supposed to to get a job and earn an income when you're kicked out at 15 and nobody teaches you how to get a job? How do and you, let alone that, you, know, you can't go to a job interview. You don't have mm-hmm. clean clothes. You don't have a shower. You don't have food. You, you don't, don't have transportation. Yeah. You don't like, yeah. you can't go get a job. What are you going to do? Walk up to the, mm-hmm. the local McDonald's and, you know, your torn clothes and mm-hmm. what are they going to, they're going to look at you like you're insane. Yeah. Like get out of here, kid. Yeah. Um, Over the next few years, Eileen dropped out of school and wandered across her home state of Michigan. She and her fellow young vagabond friends were mischievous and wild, as one would expect from unsupervised teenagers. At 18, Eileen saw her first arrest when she was hauled in for disorderly conduct, driving while under the influence, and shooting a gun from a moving vehicle. You know what? It's it's what an eighteen year old would do when you don't have any parents mm-hmm. or anyone to supervise you. Have no you have no loss. Who gives a fuck? You're not going to lose your job. What job? <laughs> exactly. You're like, yeah, I'm going to get drunk, drive around with my friends, and shoot this gun out the window. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how do you say that again? Wernos. But Wernos ditched out of honor hearing and headed as far south as possible. By 1976, at the age of 20, she resurfaced in Florida when the local society papers ran the story of her engagement. That year, Lee, Mar- Lee married wealthy yacht club president Louis Fell, who was 49 years her senior. And nearly 70 years old, Fell no doubt thought he had scored a lucky break with the 20-year-old woman. You know what? <laughs> Good for you, Eileen. Honestly, th- th- that's what I said. Like, at first, it's like, it's fine. Eat like, the rich. Who cares? Yeah, right? <laughs> like, he's, he's fucking almost 70, but whatever. He's going to take care of you. You're 20 years old. He wins. You win. It seems like a good situation. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, (laughs) Eileen certainly knew that she had landed a sweet deal considering her past hardships. But the romance was not to last as Lee couldn't keep out of trouble. She had a violent temper and is very likely she also suffered from an undiagnosed mental illness. The first signs of trouble in paradise came within weeks of the wedding when Eileen beat Lewis with his own cane because he only only doled out $30 at a time. Come on, kinda... <laughs> you're the president of a yacht club. Give her some fucking money. Right? Like, what the fuck? Come on, man. You got a 20-year-old bride, and I'm sorry, but like, come on, man. She's 20 years old. She's going to do whatever you want. And she was, when she was younger, you know, she was still pretty attractive. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to give her $30. Like, you know what this situation is, man. Right. You fucking know, you know. why she married you. Yep. It wasn't for your glowing personality. Right. <laughs> but her anger wasn't only directed at her husband. The young bride got into multiple altercations at the local bar and even spent a few weeks in jail for assault. By the time she was released, Louis Fell had filed a restraining order against Eileen and requested an annulment of their marriage. They'd think the entire marriage lasted nine weeks. Wow. <laughs> Lee didn't stick around to see how things would pan out and returned to Michigan in July of that same year. She was promptly arrested within a matter of days after throwing a cue ball at a bartender's head. <laughs> Just it's so sad because she's just she's so angry and you, there's just so many times there's she's warrant she's angry and you can understand why and that's why it's easy to have sympathy for her it situation is. and there's so many times where you think I think it's very obvious that she just wants to be loved mm-hmm. she wants to be loved she wants someone to want her she's just been rejected by one and person she after needs another therapy and she but like and, in that yeah. time period that who you know you don't do that and exactly and it, you there's just so many issues there's so many things that could have changed her life mm. that just Society yeah. just failed her. That's what I mean. Like, if it, it just one person had been like, okay, Eileen, I'm going to take you under my wing, I think she would have been okay. But she would have been very violent, and she would have been very angry, and you would have to be willing to deal with those outbursts right. and, and, and be calm, and nobody would. Like, Eileen would piss you off, and then you'd be like, well, you know what? Fuck you, Eileen. Right. And yeah. And then... You know, she has these, there's so much psychology here because she has these abandonment issues. So of course she's going to push people away because mm-hmm. they leave in the end anyways. Why wouldn't she just get out now? Well, yeah, you know? exactly. Um, the following decade was, the following decade was spent in and out of jail for one petty crime after another. She drifted up and down I-95 using sex work as her main source of income. It was during this time that she lost her brother Keith to cancer. He was her last connection to her fo- home and family. After receiving the $10,000 life insurance policy he left her, she spent most of it on a new car and she promptly, that she promptly wrecked. By 1986, Eileen was 30 years old and coming off yet another arrest. 
This time, this time she was charged in Miami for car theft and resisting arrest. Hitting one of the lowest points in her life, Eileen would later say she contemplated suicide the day before her life changed. But instead of ending it all, Lee headed into a lesbian bar in Daytona Beach, Florida, ironically called Zodiac. Eileen, she was a Zodiac killer. This is what I was saying. <laughs> I already called it. Like the infamous Zodiac killer. There, she met the one person she may have, the only person she may have ever loved, Tyria Moore. Yeah. Um, What was I going to say? What was I going to say? I don't remember what I was going to say. Car theft, resisting arrest, hitting one of the lowest points, contemplating mm. suicide, loss of her brother. I know all of that, but I just don't remember <laughs> what I was going to say. I had a point to make and it's gone. Well, the, so the Tyria Moore, um, so again, like I mentioned, Eileen would later very uh, strongly declare that she was not a lesbian, but she deeply loved Ty. Like they, they, they had an instant connection. Maybe she would rather identify as pansexual. Maybe, yeah. I mean, if she, if she had the terminology, and if honestly, if she had the ability to use that terminology, right. she just she just didn't. All she knew was that she found Ty, and Ty loved her, and she adored Ty, and she would have done mm-hmm. anything for her. Right, and it's and for Ty, seeing this angry woman probably wasn't very probably wasn't very unusual for her because mm-hmm. especially during that time in the 80s when there's so much horrible things happening mm-hmm. to the queer community you know there's that uh the the term of an angry lesbian and yeah. so you know seeing this angry woman might not have been as bizarre for another for a lesbian as it would have been for you know yeah a straight white guy who's like a woman's place is in the kitchen to be quiet so yeah. you know you can see that to where it might have been a little easier for her to be accepted in that community yeah and i think that ty was a very gentle person and you know exactly i think that she was used to that of course you're angry society has rejected us and um i don't think that it, they portray it and i don't know but eileen even knew that she was in a gay bar like she found a place she was constantly being kicked out of bars so she finally Finds this one place she hasn't been kicked out of, <laughs> and she realizes it's a gay bar. And Story whatever. of your life, no. <laughs> <laughs> fucking right. Like, oh. <laughs> but yeah, but no. So she finds this a gay, and you know, and then she meets Ty, and then that—that's it. Like they just like, and and Ty later also tries to walk back some things, but it seems obvious that Ty loved her too. Maybe mm-hmm. she was she was just like so interested by this woman because comparatively Ty come came from a pretty stable home and so and Eileen is all over the place and she's very energetic and that's inspiring to you you know so more Tyria uh, was from a small town in Ohio and allegedly fled to Florida because it was too hard to be an out lesbian in Ohio it's still right yeah (laughs) yet even though she wound up hundreds of miles away from home Ty continued to be yet even though she ended up hundreds of miles away from home Ty continued to remain close to her middle-class suburban family. It's unclear if they knew that she was gay, but it also does not seem like the family ever expressed issue with this fact when Ty's orientation was later put on a national display. However, the family might have had concern with their daughter's new love interest. Six years, Ty's senior, and an and with an evident temper, Eileen certainly didn't make friends easy. And she was immediately jealous of Tyria's and she was immediately jealous of Ty's closeness with her family, a point of contention that remained throughout their entire four-plus-year relationship. Still, the two women seemed to adore each other and lived together in one hotel room after another as they continued Eileen's drifter existence. Uh, and, oh, yeah. go ahead. No, I think it's just odd to me because Ty was pretty established. Like She was working as a hotel maid, and but she just like just fell in love with Eileen and just started following her around and they're just living in one place after another. And I think it's exciting for her. Yeah. You know, here's this woman that's older than me and Mm -hmm. she's made it this far doing these things and I love her and we're having fun and she's exciting and it's a new experience wherever, you know, we go from place to place and I get Mm -hmm. to see all of these places and it's exciting. Yeah, it is. Um, Were you going to say anything? No, you were going to say something else. Go ahead. That was, uh, no, that, was, that was that was oh yeah that was it yeah no that I was just saying it's interesting also the movie Monster which has Charlize Ther- Charlize Theron and um, Christina Ricci really I will say it really glamorizes and romanticizes the um, relationship and I don't think it was like that I think it was like that for a few minutes mm-hmm. you know for a, a few weeks or months 
But also, again, you do have to remember Eileen has a very violent temper. She's very possessive. She finally has one person that loves her. Mm-hmm. And I do think that there was abuse. I, I don't know that it was a lot well, of abuse. Well, that's how you keep abuse. somebody. Right. But it definitely there was emotional. There was intimidation. Mm-hmm. There was bullying. I do believe that was that was part of it. And abusers always love abuse. The abused always feel this love for the abuser. You know, you make yeah. the, you validate them and you you put them above. So you just stick around and, and especially when you're in a situation like this where you're going from place to place to place where it's it's exciting, it's new, and then this woman is kind of, in a way, taking care of you. And, you mm-hmm. know, it's all of these things put into one. Yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll get to more, that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. According to Ty's later testimony, she claims she never liked the fact that Lee was a sex worker. However, Moore quit her job as a hotel maid soon after the two became lovers and leaned on Eileen for support. Over the next three years, they relied heavily on Lee's work to keep them afloat. In 1989, when Eileen began to show up with expensive new gifts, Ty simply enjoyed them. Deliberately choosing not to question how a street hustler was suddenly showing up with wads of cash and new cars after a single night of work. Even with even after Eileen admitted she had killed a man, Ty requested not to know any further details. And when Eileen suddenly had enough money to rent the new apartment they had been eyeing, more happily moved into their new home. Perhaps she feared for her life, or perhaps she believed Eileen had really killed the man in self-defense. But for the final 12 months of their relationship, Tyria Moore looked the other way as her partner went on a killing spree that took the life of seven men. So there's a lot of discussion around Ty Moore and what she knew and what she didn't know because she really flipped on Eileen later, like hard flipped on her. She had that awakening. Yeah, she did. And I think that was a lot of things. I think she woke up to the person that Eileen was. I think that she um, she woke up to the fact that she was probably in an abusive relationship. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of things, but there's also... You know, she maybe she didn't want to believe the things about Eileen. Maybe she thought, if I believe those things, Eileen will kill me. I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, well, there's also that thing, even though they're in a lesbian relationship, the society at that time still mm-hmm. told you that a woman should just listen to her her husband. You know, yeah. and and there's that thing that maybe she in the back of her mind she was like, well, she's my she's the man in the relationship, or yeah. she not, might not have put it in that way, but you know, yeah. she's the lead in the relationship, and I should just obey. Yeah, yeah. I, I do want to say, though, though, the one thing that I my one point of contention with Ty Moore is that she tried to make it that she was very frustrated and um, almost disgusted with um, Eileen's work. But Eileen, like Ty was the only one who could actually get a legitimate job in their mm-hmm. relationship. Like and she, she didn't. She could have and she didn't. She leaned on Eileen and the only way that Eileen had to support them was through sex work. So to later kind of paint Eileen as wrong or disgusting for her sex work i i felt you kind of put her in that position yeah you leaned on her and and eileen wanted to support ty she did but like you knew she was a sex worker and you let her support you too and then later we're trying to be like well you know her sex work of course Mm -hmm. i I didn't ever want her to do it and that's four and a half years with someone no yeah (laughs) and i think she probably was like well, I'm a lesbian, yes, but she's a sex worker, and exactly. it's that kind of like pushing mm. pushing the the stigma off of her onto another person. Yeah, trying to further distance herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the popular movie Monster, based upon the life of Eileen Wuornos and starring Charlize Theron, Lee is brutally raped by a prospective client. My chair is creaking so much <laughs> it goes well with the, this mood but not you know mm-hmm. she manages to free herself from the ropes binding her hands and pulls her pistol just in time to kill her assailant the scene certainly paints the picture of a simple sex worker defending herself in the face of grave danger thus sparking a desire for revenge against all the men who had wronged her in her life while it is easy to feel sympathy feel see again i i spelled it wrong whatever while it is easy to feel sympathy for the incredibly unfair hand that was dealt Eileen, some of this sympathy has spilled over into cult-like following of the sex worker. She is viewed as a hero and an icon whose spree was justified because of the wrongs in her life. However, it is important to remember that most serial killers have been dealt unfair hands, and yet their violence against the innocent was not dismissed or justified. I mean, again, like you look at uh, so many serial killers, and like I get Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Tool go back and listen to our episode. Oh, yeah. Like both of them had really horrific childhoods, but nobody's like, you had a horrific childhood, and so that's why you went around and you killed people. Right. Because the reality is that you did kill people. But there's other factors that we'll get into of why I think people 
kind of like want to justify her killings. Mm-hmm. Um, also, again, I can't convey enough how the movie Monster and there's the other movie which was done in 1992, Overdrive, just hypersexualizes the relationship. And that's part of the reason why you can. It's so easy to feel sympathy if, mm-hmm. especially in media where they're portrayed as these, you know, innocent women. Or an innocent yeah. woman who just, she had this, all of these horrible things mm-hmm. that drove her to be this person. Right. And, and that's what I mean, like, though, that like, they, they, she's just an innocent person who's just trying to support her lover. And what else are they supposed to do? They're just two lesbians. No one will give them a job anyways. And, the, and a lot of that is all true. But, um, no, I just find it interesting the way they hypersexualize the relationship between Eileen and Ty, almost like, you know, Again, and that's all it's about. It's I guarantee about you, the if they made a movie on Otis Tool and Henry Lee Lucas, there wouldn't be a oh, single sex scene. Not a single one. Not they a sing- would hint at it, right? They, they maybe fade they would as as Otis Tools uh, go, puts his head down into yeah. Henry's lap, it fades to black. Yeah, or he would, <laughs> or it would show one scene where they like touch each other's hand, but there would be yeah. no sex. No, there wouldn't. And Mm-mm. all these movies are just one sex scene yeah. after another, just like, and I'm, <laughs> it's just, I mean. It's not that lesbians aren't sexual. It's just that, like, you just, they put them on such a hyper plane. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's mm-hmm. just incredible. And on November 30th, 1989, Eileen took her first known victim when she shot Richard Mallory several times in the chest. This is perhaps the most controversial killing of the seven, as Mallory was already in a already a convicted rapist, and, and the one person Eileen was always maintain had in fact raped her it is this gruesome scene that is played out in the movie monster though the aftermath played out very differently between the film and real life in monster eileen returns to her lover a fictional character that was very loosely based on ty moore and tells her partner she was forced to kill a man before breaking down into hysterics yet in real life moore would later testify that eileen coolly mentioned the murder over a couple of beers and a movie never adding that she had been raped or beaten and never showing remorse for her actions some have speculated that ty was pressured to give such a cold-hearted presentation of lee but moore has never retracted or walked back her statement so and yeah it's just like the next day eileen's drinking and she's like yeah i had to kill a guy last night and it could be that something clicked in her mind that like she was, she was raped because Mallory does not seem like he was a good person and she was raped and she killed him and then something switched in her mind and she's like, you know, fuck all these fuckers. Mm-hmm. And, but it, it also, I don't know, like you said, it's hard because if she was a man and she had done that, would we be like, well, would we have as much sympathy? I don't know. I think if. The thing is, if sex work is still about consent and you're mm-hmm. exchanging yeah. services for a dollar, mm-hmm. yes. you still have to consent Consent, and you know what you agree upon is what you agree upon. And then I think in that if she was raped and mm-hmm. it was self-defense and I, you know, I don't say I, oh, yeah. she shouldn't be in trouble for it, but it was definitely self-defense. And I think if a man had done it, I would probably feel the same. Yeah. Well, I mean, and there is a situation like if she does kill a guy who's raping her as a sex worker, she knows she can't go to the cops. First right. of all, she has a long, long list, a right. long rap sheet. Second, she's a fucking sex worker and the cops are just going to be like, well, you know, you shouldn't be, uh, you know, you shouldn't be doing sex work. Right. <laughs> um, even though we'll get to a point about that in a minute. But um, so like she didn't really have any other choice. Yeah. Um, what was she going to do? <laughs> Literally. Right. She really did. But the following murders are where it's like, okay, but the other guys, she really did have a choice. Mm-hmm. And you know, whether it was a culmination of the trauma of her life in the event or simply the first taste of the rush of murder, Eileen was off and running. Over one full year, she murdered six more men, always using a gun as her preferred weapon and typically shooting the victim several times. Sometimes the bodies were found naked and other times they were found fully clothed. In the sixth of the seven victims, Eileen shot former police chief Dick Humphreys execution style in the back of the head. Humphreys was fully clothed when he was killed and Eileen filled his body with bullets just for good measure. It is likely the trauma that had been inflicted on Eileen by officers came through in the most brutal of her murders. Why Lee, why Lee was in Humphrey's cars, we cannot be sure, but as she was always, but as she always used sex work as her way to get into vehicles, it is likely that this was the reason the former chief picked her up. So this goes into the whole thing of like you, she was so often harassed by police and they, they really did often like they would mock her because she, 
She did not have a, a standard education. She spoke with a hard, like, Southern accent, and she was probably mentally ill. Mm-hmm. And she would come across as, you know, at, that way. And so police would mock her. They would pick her up. They would abuse her. And then can you imagine the former chief of a police picking you up to, you know, after everything that you've been through with police, and then you get picked up by a former police chief who wants to pay you to, have, to suck his dick when you were harassed by police so mm-hmm. often. Like, you... That Again. anger and fury. Exactly. That anger of like, fuck you, man. Like, mm-hmm. if you were on duty, you would be arresting me, but now I'm going to suck your, your dick, right. you know, because... Uh, it just again that hypocrisy of like you spend your life as an officer picking up sex workers and then when you're off duty it's okay to right. hire a sex worker um also just a point to make all of her victims were found with multiple bullets in their body uh-huh. i've always said if you're going to kill somebody <laughs> yeah you got to do it you like you don't <laughs> you always see in these movies they shoot them one time and then they drop the gun and run away and then the person fucking gets up and gets the gun and kills them like exactly you got to you be gotta, fair yeah you do have to shoot them several times yeah make sure it's done <laughs> Yeah. Um, after initially telling Ty of her first murder, Eileen went silent about the rest. There was nearly a six-month break between the murder of Richard Mallory and her second victim, David Spears, which was in May of 1990. It is possible that Ty had convinced herself that Eileen had simply killed in sex- self-defense as sex work can be a dangerous job. However, between the months of May and, Jul- and July, Eileen would kill five more men. It's a very quick escalation. Mm-hmm. Like She takes a break, and then she just like kills, kills, kills. Yeah. Each time she showed up at home with a large with large amounts of cash with large amounts of cash, a new gun, and a strange car that inevitably vanished after a few weeks. <laughs> During this time, Teria's suspicion mounted. No but shit. <laughs> we got a new car, honey. <laughs> Two weeks later. Car. Wow. Got rid of the car, but it's okay because I got another new mm-hmm. car. Also, I decided to switch out my twenty two for a twenty because, you know, I don't really like twenty two. Gotta keep it up. <laughs> but she did not want to know the truth about Eileen's actions. The spark in their relationship had fizzled and Ty start- says that by the end they were more like sisters than lovers. Also known as lesbian death. Yeah. Lesbian what? Uh, lesbian bed death. Oh. <laughs> That's what it's called. The final straw came at Thanksgiving, just days after Eileen had killed her seventh and final victim. And I'm trying to think if in mental, like if, especially if she had something like bipolar disorder, mm-hmm. which a manic episode can last for months and months and months. Yeah. So it could have been that maybe the first murder was self-defense. And then she just had like a mental break. Yeah. And she was just on this like high and she was just going at it, going at it, going at it. And there was no stopping her until either she came down or she Mm -hmm. was caught. It could be. Yeah. And there's also like the fact that she commits the first murder. If it's how she says where like she gets raped, she kills a guy and then she lays low and just waits for something to happen. But nothing happens. And so could be that. Yeah. She was like, well, hey, fuck it. All right, fine. I'll fucking kill these guys. I could get paid a few hundred bucks for this or I could take everything. Exactly. I could have it all. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of reasons why she might have Mm -hmm. like laid low and then suddenly gone on the spree. Back in July of 1990 now, Eileen and Ty had been out joyriding in one of the cars of Eileen's victims when they got into an accident. Eileen really just should never have been driving. Apparently. Also, she just always had I don't issues. think she was ever sober, honestly, from the age of 11 until 30-something. She just was not sober. Well, if you, you see the alcoholism runs in her family, and especially and then, the then yeah, and the trauma, but the alcoholism, if there's no, no dealing with it, you're just constantly drunk. Exactly. So when plenty of witnesses around, with plenty of witnesses around, the police were promptly called, and both Ty and Lee took off. Yet, even though they had fled, a description of the women were given to the officers when they arrived, and they were, they were. It, it was pretty easy to describe them. I mean, they just, they're a lesbian couple, and and Ty really fit the stereotype, <laughs> um, and Eileen had her own unique look. So like, it was pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Shortly thereafter, an investigation revealed the car belonged to a missing merchant named Richard Syme. That pattern fit that of two other men whose cars had randomly turned up a few days or weeks after their death. The sketch of the women confirmed for the police that they were looking for a woman because then this was a point that was made in a couple articles and such of like, so the 1980s shows such a spike and wave of, of um, knowledge around serial killers. And so then advancements start to take place. And so you start to see that decline. Mm-hmm. And so police were like, who the fuck is picking up a hitchhiker anymore? Like right. they, these men kept picking up hitchhikers and like people aren't going to do that. So then they started to think, well, maybe it's a woman. Maybe that's mm-hmm. why men will pull over. 
The sketch of the woman confirmed for the police that they were looking for a woman. And in November, Ty saw the sketch of herself on the television in conjunction with yet another mysterious murder. And when Eileen showed up once again with a random car, Tyria planned an escape. She told Lee that she was going back home to visit her family for Thanksgiving and said goodbye to her lover. But nor... But Moore never returned, and just six weeks later, Eileen was arrested in Florida. And just six weeks later, Eileen was arrested in Florida on a previous warrant. The day after Lee's arrest, police tracked down Ty and pressured her into getting Eileen to confess to the murders. Moore agreed and called Lee while under while under surveillance, and finally convinced her partner to confess to the crimes. On January 16, 1990, Eileen Warnos confessed to the murder of seven men, claiming all were done in self-defense when they attempted to rape her. But Tyria Moore's testimony contradicted Eileen's claim of self-defense as she painted her ex-lover as a cool, unrepented killer. As the case progressed, Lee retracted and changed her story numerous times. In March of 1992, she told prosecutors she wanted to get right with God, and gave the statement to the court. I wanted to confess to you that Richard and Mallory did violently rape me, as I told you, but these others did not. They only began to start to. Eventually, Lee was charged with six counts of first-degree murder as the body of Peter Symes was never found. She was sentenced to die by lethal injection. Eileen's decade-plus in prison was met with much controversy and sensationalism. She accused the guards and matrons of harassing and abusing her, even claiming they were poisoning her food. And I, I think that some of this was paranoia. Could even, I, she could have even been schizophrenic. She could have. Actually, I think like her brother or no, her father had been diagnosed with schizophrenic, the one who had been the child mm-hmm. molester. Things like that run in families yeah. too. So, And I do think that I also think that it was it was easy for people to take advantage of Eileen because she was unwell mm-hmm. and and they could get her like riled up as people will and, and then know who's going to fucking believe Just her. Just laugh at, uh, you know, exactly. laugh at what you've done. Ha <laughs> ha, look exactly. at how crazy you are. Exactly how we like we gaslight you because you already are feeling paranoid mm-hmm. and so we capitalize on that. Put a little something um, extra in your food, honey. Exactly. You know, stuff like that. But also she was, and I didn't put this in there, she did take a test when she was in there of a psychiatrist of, of like her um, psychopathic tendencies and she scored 32 out of 40. So again, it's just like, it's just a combination of everything. Mm-hmm. She was also exploited by several authors and producers who capitalized on her story and made millions, painting Eileen in whatever light was currently selling. So sometimes they, she would be the victim, sometimes she was the hero, sometimes she was um, a monster, you know, it just mm-hmm. depended. Over the last 22 years, her story has been told and retold in countless books, movies, documentaries, and song. And even as recently as 2019, rapper Cardi B recreated an iconic image of Eileen for her single press. Though she was ridiculed and bullied in prison, Warnos enjoyed widespread popularity from the outside. She was heralded as a feminist icon, the first feminist serial killer, and nicknamed the Damsel of Death. Sex workers still see her as an inspiring figure who got revenge on all the Johns that had taken advantage or looked down on the very woman they paid for pleasure. Arguments for and against the justifications of Eileen's crimes are still argued in in classrooms and on internet forums to this day. Valerie Solanus would have loved her. Oh, they would have been best friends in prison. They would have been best friends that killed each other and then were best friends. Are you (laughs) kidding me? Like they, she would have been the. Right hand man, right hand man. Look at that. Yeah, she would have been the right hand woman of scum. Like, yeah. oh yeah, that would exactly. have been like the a perfect combination. <laughs> exactly. But all her popularity couldn't save her from execution. And after ten years on death row, Eileen didn't want to be saved. In her final interview, she privately told documentary producer Nick Broomfield that she really had killed those guys in self defense, but she didn't want to live any longer. The truth is hard to know for several reasons. First, Eileen constantly changed her story, and the evidence didn't always match her version of events. But also, Eileen had a short former had shot a former Air Force major and chief of police, Dick Humphrey, in the back of the head. Even if she really had done all of these killings in self-defense, there's no way the judicial system would ever let her get away with her actions. So, on October 9th, 2002, Eileen Warnos was executed by lethal injection. Her final words were this. I'd just like to say, I'm sailing with the rock, and I'll be back like Independence Day with Jesus. June 6th, like the movie. Big mothership and all. I'll be back. I'll be back. That's actually kind of terrifying. I know. She's like, hmm, you think you're going to kill me, motherfuckers? Move that fucking <laughs> rock over there. I'll be right behind I it. I fucking hope she's haunting some people. And I think that's, that's a point. Like, you have to remember. So, again, he Dick Humphrey was a chief of police and an Air Force major. 
he like someone had to go down for his death. Right. And here's the sex worker who's unstable. Easy. And like, yeah, we'll, we'll put it out. Like there's just, it wouldn't matter. And I think, and that's also why there's still the divide because you really don't know what the truth is in Eileen Warnos because she changes her story. And because you know that there's fucking corruption at play because you know that the police were not going to give her a break. Even if she was, even if she was right to kill those guys, it right. doesn't matter because the guy that you killed was one of ours. And so fuck you. Yep, and you're going down. Doesn't matter. Exactly. So, I mean, again, I don't want to justify because there are also a few men that died who were completely innocent. They were just guys trying to get a hand job or something mm-hmm. and she shot them. So I don't want to excuse that. Right. And another thing I've always wondered, speaking about this uh, police incident, you see these videos um, of police officers pulling black people out of their car, shooting them yeah. while their families are in the car what would happen if one of those family members were to shoot that police officer before they killed that police officer was able to kill their loved one? Exactly. Could they claim self-defense or would they just automatically go to jail for being a police no murderer? Way in hell. Exactly. No way, exactly. You Even don't. though it would be in self-defense, right? Because this police officer is going to kill you for what your kid shoplifted a $2 candy bar or whatever the fucking situation is. You're completely innocent. You were maybe going two miles over the speed limit and they pulled you over for an ego trip exactly. and you're like, um, I didn't do anything wrong. So now they're going to kill you. Yeah. But you can't defend yourself versus them because they are the power and they are the ones who are going to, quote unquote, put you in your place. Yeah, exactly. And so though it's unlikely that, you know, exactly. So, I mean, it's very likely that Dick Humphrey could have tried to to rape Eileen. You also have to remember that in 20 years of sex work, this there's only one year that she decided to start killing people. Mm -hmm. So, like, again, there were some men who I think were completely innocent. And uh, then there were some men who were who were. Um, guilty, and then there was people that even if Dick Humphrey didn't do anything wrong, it's still the fact that you're a fucking police officer who spent who spent a lifetime arresting sex workers, and now you think you have the you have the audacity to walk in here and get you know yep. receive something from a ple- sex worker, and so all of that, and that is why she is the icon that she is, and she is huge mm-hmm. when you look at the works that have been done about her. Yep. Your recommended resources are wide and varied. If you would like to read Eileen's own words, there's the book Dear Dawn, Eileen Wernos in Her Own Words, which was compiled by Lisa Kester and Daphne Gottlieb and and features dozens of letters that Lee wrote to her childhood friend. You can also read the original memoir of Eileen, Monster, or you can watch the movie Monster, which is available to rent for $3 on Amazon. YouTube also has the free documentary Born to Kill Eileen Warnos, or you can listen to the 2001 opera Warnos or the band Super Heaven's song Poor Eileen. There are dozens of ways to continue learning and appreciating or obsessing over the life of Eileen Warnos. <laughs> and with that, stay queer. Don't get a lobotomy. We love you, our little allied hookers. And a little succulent sapphists. Resist the oppressors, our proud homocrats. And have yourself a sodomy circus. Or don't. And Black Lives Matters. Black Lives Matter. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story. Like what you heard? Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory. And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. See you next week. Bye. Bye.